0: okay y'all so content warning we say fuck a lot so just if that wasn't enough of a warning for you uh content warning just content warning in general how's that
1: oh so we talk about death and murder and stuff
0: oh yeah blood and guts and death and murder and religion and weird shit
2: yeah it can get nasty Mm
1: we will be sure to warn you if there's anything especially bad ahead of time (laughs)
0: Oh, I was going to tell him fuck off. You were being nicer than I
1: was. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the energy to tell him to fuck off. Oh, right uh,
0: that's fair. That's fair. That's.
1: <laughs> I guess I'm probably going first this time,
0: eh? Ooh, yeah. That's true.
1: Yeah. Hey. All right. I guess uh, welcome back to the Human Exception. I'm Kayla.
2: I'm Nathan.
0: Hey, I'm Hallie. There was a real long pause there. <laughs>
1: That's what editing's for. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so yeah, second actual episode. Um, I'll be going first this time, and today we're going to be talking about the myth, the legend of Keanu Reeves being immortal. Now, I'm straight up front; like, there is almost no evidence to support this, but fuck it, I decided to go into it and see if we could somehow find some way to make this myth at all plausible. So, get ready. <laughs>
0: I was going to say, is all your evidence just memes?
1: Nope, nope. I dug beyond the, the memes. Like, I'm like I'm in it deep. <laughs> <laughs> all uh- right. So, Keanu Reeves, our beloved actor, the man that said "Whoa" and the internet's first boyfriend. So, born in September 2nd, 1964 in Peru, he spent much of his early life traveling across the world with his mother and sister. And his father kind of fucked off around the time that he was three. His family finally settled in toronto which is where he grew up and he hit it big in 1989 with the movie bill and ted's excellent adventure and from there on well you pretty much know the rest <clears throat> in addition to acting he directs he's a documentary filmmaker and it's a bass guitarist for a band called dogstar which is actually pretty good <laughs> you can find it on spotify <laughs> all right so if you've spent any time on the internet in the last decade you assuredly have heard the rumor that Keanu is immortal in October 2008, a picture came up on Reddit commenting on how much this painting of a guy named Paul Monet, an actor from the early 1900s, looked like Keanu. The internet did what the internet does and began to dig and found a handful of historical figures that uncannily look like the modern actor. Quickly spawning the website com. This is a real website.
0: <laughs> Shut up.
1: <laughs> right <laughs> so that was the first stop when i started looking at this I was like okay there's a website all right but like it's a one-page website there really is not much to it which i'm kind of disappointed in for the fact the website's been up for 10 years at this point so is pretty famous for his quiet life he's rarely out of big parties you don't always really see him in the tabloids and if you think about it what do you actually know about him
2: like nothing
1: i love this
0: so <laughs> right? much. right <laughs> this <laughs> website is bananas <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, it's really good <laughs> so before us getting into how some with theory works kind of makes sense for you guys to know a little bit about the guy so he hasn't had the easiest life it's actually pretty fucking tragic when you look at it um without traveling his youth he was went to so many different schools like there was a there was a five-year span where he went to four different high schools and you know he was good at english and creative writing and chess but he struggled with the maths and science And he was good at basketball and baseball, and he was actually really good at ice hockey and was nicknamed The Wall. His acting talent took him to this prestigious performing arts school, but according to him, the the experience was very traumatic. As a quote from him, he says, It was a very small school, and I guess I didn't fit in. I had conflicts of with the staff. The principal and I didn't see eye to eye, and I was one of those why kids. I asked too many questions about everything. I couldn't stop, even if it got me into trouble. I wanted autonomy, and if you wanted to impose something on me, then you and I would have a problem. Um, His mom would marry a bunch of times, but he never really bonded with any of his potential father figures. And at 17, left home and went to Hollywood. And then this is when the beginning of the, tra- the, beginning of the tragedy starts. In uh, 1993, River Phoenix was one of his good friends. He died of a drug overdose at 23. <laughs> and then, well, during the 90s, then his sister Kim, who was also an actress, became incredibly sick with cancer. And Keanu took over as her primary caregiver. In December 1999, his girlfriend, Jennifer Syme, gave birth, uh, gave birth eight months into her pregnancy to the baby, Ava Archer Syme Reeves, who was stillborn. The couple broke up a couple weeks later.
0: Oh, man.
1: Oh. April 2001, Syme was killed when her vehicle collided with three parked cars in Los Angeles. She was being treated for depression at the time, and the police found prescription medication in her car. Jeez. So, yeah, he's had a great life. Yeah, so when we talk about Canada, like, you know, that is all I can find about the guy. Like, really, the guy dug forever, and, like, that is those, like, ten lines, those are the only, like, personal information that's out there. When it comes to like, celebrity, like, gossip, there's almost nothing about him. Um, There's pretty much three lines in the tabloids that have come up. The first one was that he was sued by a woman who suggested that he had used hypnosis and impersonated her ex-husband to impregnate her. She sought $3 million in spousal support from the actor for four children. DNA of course quickly disproved these claims. Okay. Yeah. Another um, rumor was that he's secretly married to the billionaire, billionaire mogul David Jeffin. There's absolutely no evidence to support this and as he says it's as if this rumor exists in another universe that doesn't have anything to do with me. And then, within two months of each other, two women broke into his house. The first one, he was at home sleeping. He woke up to this woman standing in his bedroom. The second time, he was out of the house, and his, his like, homemakers were home. And this woman came in and started swimming in a swimming pool. And they're just people that, oh. like, were really into him. And that's that's it. Oh, dear. <laughs> He's a really private person, so one of the things he says is, like, I'm not interested in showing anybody what's behind the curtain. I like watching a good documentary about some, how something was made, but I just don't want it to be my life. And Because of Bill and Ted, his breakout role, many assume that he's not very bright. When asked if this is a comfort in the way that people often underestimate his intelligence, his response was, I don't know how much intelligence I have. (laughs) (laughs) It's super endearing. Right? This guy is so adorable.
2: (laughs) It's a very Keanu-like response.
1: Yes. So in 2010, sad, sad Keanu would grace the internet, and the actor was thrust back into the internet spotlight, which he wasn't so crazy about. As a quote is, I was made aware of it and I thought it was funny. Yeah, but you know, it's still a drag to get your picture taken when you're eating a sandwich. It's kind of a downer, even though conceptually what was going on was pretty funny. (laughs) Oh. So by sad Keanu enthusiasts, June 15th is designated Keanu Day, just in case you need something else to celebrate. And that's pretty much it. We know that he's altruistic and that he's been caught many times giving shit tons of money to charity, film crews, friends, family, and never once seeking any attention or recognition. He founded a whole cancer society for his sister that he just completely keeps himself detached from, so his celebrity doesn't bring anything additional to it. Mm-hmm. Um, he supports all sorts of things like the list of the like millions of dollars that he spent on other people and things that just and that's just what we know about. When you talk to other people about him like even the people like he works with don't really have a, a lot of information about him. Um Sheila Booth worked with them on the film Constantine and his, he said that I've worked with them for a year and a couple months but I don't really know much about him. I don't think he hangs out with other humans that much. <sighs> humans. Yeah. <laughs> humans. Right. Oh my god. The director of Constantine was like, I, uh, do I really know Keanu after working with him? No, I know things about him. He's hardworking. He's generous. He's sweet, sweet guy. But it's all just sort of on the surface. Erwin Stoff, which is Reeves's manager, has known him for decades and can't seem to crack the surface either. He says, <sighs> Keanu is a really private person. He's sort of perfected for himself a way of keeping a distance from people. And um, this is another quote from an actor he's worked with in the past. He's like, there's been times I've mentioned something and he'll all of a sudden take the stupid thing out, like a notebook, out of his back pocket and write down notes. Like some book I read or something like that. And I know that the motherfucker is actually going to read that. He's going to find that book and read it and I know it. So he's really endearing. He's really, like, like, he's a philanthropist. He's really into, he cares about people a lot. And he's, like, genuinely interested in everyone he meets. And, like, from, like, fan interactions, like, he remembers people years later, like, you know, he just he just loves everybody, um, but no one knows much about him. So the rumors of Cano's immortality and many theor- theories really aren't clear cut. Like some believe that he's immortal, others believe that he's a vampire, a time traveler, or he's reincarnating, or even that he's just Jesus. You know, but there are three common factors that are attached that are touted to support these theories. The first is that well, he's incredibly kind and sincere. He's given away millions of dollars. And that's just what we know about whenever this point is brought up. His quote, his, This quote is cited. Money is the last thing I think about it. I could live on what I already have made for the next few centuries. <laughs> centuries. See? <laughs> Get your tinfoil hat ready. So the, similar, similar, so the second thing is the similarities between him and a handful of historical figures is really uncannily close. And I'll show you guys pictures. And the last one is that he just doesn't fucking age. And I've got a picture for you. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is a series of pictures from 1995 to 2017, and that fucker pretty much looks the same. Like, we know now, as in 2020, that he's got a little more gray going on, and he is starting to look a bit older. But if you do look at those pictures, there, that's like you know, 30 years or whatever, and he just looks pretty much exactly the same.
2: He's just basically like morphing into Dave Grohl.
0: <laughs> yeah, he started out John Cusack and went into. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh my god, Keanu and Dave Grohl are the same person. Has anyone oh my ever god. See the, has seen I've them? I've the never seen room? them in the
1: same room. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> all right. So um all this stuff is really flimsy and but some of the some of the hardcore canyons don't add much credit to this theory. Here's a quote of One of them that says, okay, I'll get right to the point. I've heard that Keanu is, in fact, not willingly immortal, but he's being held by some sort of ancient organization to do their bidding, but he's allowed to do as he pleases to a point. So he went into acting to try and show signs of this. The interesting part is that in The Matrix, he looks the same age as in the new John Wick Chapter 2 feature that was just released. Now, something I've noticed is that none of the pictures of him show any clear blemishes that could indicate an imposter. However, this may just be down to makeup and Photoshop. I hope this information has helped at all. That is something that someone sent to the owner of the Canada's Immortal website. Oh
2: my God. That's so it. good. Yeah. So. <laughs> 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 all
1: right. So obviously we're going to start with this. What is immortality? Dictionary definition is living forever, never dying or decaying. Um, humans have been talking about immortals ever since that we ever had the concept of, you know, what we are and what ourselves are and the fact that we die. The idea of living forever is just something that we're completely enamored with and their literature that expands on this is just endless. So with some immortals, um, they literally can't be harmed by anything like time, weapons, whatever. Some can be killed, they just live live forever and never age naturally. Um, Others require that they are killed by another immortal um, and others need really specific ways or tools like wooden stakes. So, yeah, we've always fantasized about immortality. Um, and one thing is we have all these characters are almost always completely tragic, like they're yearning for death and that the immortality is some sort of punishment. And they just live lonely existence, watching everything and everyone that they love turn to dust. And here's a quote from Keanu. Grief changes shape, but it never ends. People have a misconception that you can deal with it and say, it's gone and I'm better. They're wrong. When the people you love are gone, you're alone. I miss being a part of their lives and them being a part of mine. I wonder what the present would be like if they were here. What we might have done together. I miss all the great things that will never be. That's not a tragic immortal. I don't know what is. <gasps> He's a vampire. Right? <laughs> so why do we die? Um, biologically, this process called senescence, which is the gradual deterioration of normal function of cells. Basically every time that a cell divides, it leads a small pound of uh, a chromosome. And eventually there's just not enough left to divide. So the cells just begin to die and not be replaced. So all living things go through this, but with a couple exceptions, there's a jellyfish um, is the only true model that we know of this jelly. Jellyfish have like multiple stages of life, kind of like bugs. Like they have like their polyp stage and, so on in their awkward teen years. Um, But this jellyfish has the ability that when it's stressed, to completely revert back to a tiny blob and just start over. You know, they can just re-roll whenever they feel like it. They can still die from outside factors, but age will never kill them. So it's just like fuck this shit, I'm a baby again. Um, There's these things called hydras, which are these little freshwater organisms that kind of look like tiny palm trees. Um, They don't go through senescence at all. Instead, they just gradually deteriorate over time Their stem cells have the the capacity to infinitely self-renew. And there's this gene that all living things have that is like our expiry date that determines how long our cells and bodies live. And that's pretty much this one's got it cranked all the way up to 11. And then lobsters also don't die from senescence. Unlike hydras, reliance on particular genes however, their longevity is thanks to them being able to endlessly repair their DNA. Also, lobsters made for life. Just in case you didn't know that.
0: I did not know that.
1: And they can live forever. So if you take one away it's, it's going to be alone for the rest of eternity.
0: Oh, that's just, that's a real fucking bummer there, Kayla. Holy shit.
1: It's okay. You don't eat shellfish. It's fine.
0: <laughs> no, I don't.
1: <laughs> 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 um, yeah, so there's a couple of creatures that kind of age definitely like the naked mole rat. Um, as it gets old, it doesn't seem to have any risk of dying because of its age. You know, it just dies from other things. Uh, the world's oldest non-colonial animal, is a remarkably stress-resistant ocean-dwelling quahog claw clam named a ming, which died accidentally after a good 500 years when research- researchers dredged it up from the ocean and wanted to find out how old it was. They killed it. Oh, <laughs> uh, whoopsie. Yeah. And then there's uh, this type of tree, uh, bristlecone pine trees, that they seem to function just as fine as much as their young younger versions do. They're just Exactly the same. They're just bigger. Um, There's a particular colony of these that is considered about 80,000 years old. So these trees just keep going. So immortality is not completely impossible. There are living creatures that have it. And we also have science. So with science, obviously humans are still trying to live forever. We've got a bunch of different things that have been going on. Um, At Northwest University, scientists have learned how to turn off the genetic switch that causes aging in worms. Um. Some researchers have discovered that old mice can be revived by infusing the blood from young mice. A well, little Elizabeth Bathory there for you. Um, cloning. I was
0: going to say, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> she was on to something, clearly. Uh. And cloning. We all know about Dolly the Sheep. You know, that's probably the thing that we are most advanced in in regards to the living forever thing. If we could start replacing parts from cloned versions of ourselves, that would make a huge leap into how long we can live. Um, nanotechnology, which could be used to replace uh, damaged cells or dying cells just kind of go in there and take them out Um, cryonics, that's the process of, you know, freezing your brain and that we get eventually then thawed out, but we've absolutely no evidence at all that this process would retain personality and and memories at all, like they could thaw you out and you could just be an empty shell we Mm -hmm. don't know if that would stay Um, transhumanism which of course is cyborgs um, replacing body parts with the improved mechanic versions and the singularity. Uplay, upload your brain into a computer. So these are all ways that humans are trying to achieve immortality as is. And the good news is that all these methods, pretty much one thing in common they have is that they all think by 2030 that we're going we're gonna to nail them and we're going to be good to go. Uh, I don't know. I have questions. <laughs> I don't have I also,
2: that much faith in like, humanity.
1: Also, like, how much did this year set everybody back?
2: Oh, yeah.
1: Um, and then a particular fun mention is another way you could potentially live forever, it is uh through meditation. There's this monk, Dashi Dorso Itilgov. Um he was a monk, born in 1952 um, and he in like a Russian monastery. And basically one day he just said, like, yeah, I'm ready to die. Just bury me. And he's like sat down in Lotus position and just let them bury him, and he never woke up. He's still there today. So he had this whole thing about like, yeah, dig me up in like 30 years and check on me and stuff. And so they did. And he was completely unrotted. And he's still sitting perfectly in his fucking cross-legged position. Like he died just silently and painlessly and just like went to sleep and didn't wake up. Um, again, they dug him up in 30 years. And like now at this point, he's on display and scientists have, have had an opportunity to look at him and they are, they are sure he is absolutely dead. But, um, the body is so incredibly well-preserved that parts of him look like he died, like, 36 hours ago. Ugh. It's really fucking weird. Ugh. Yeah, so weird shit happens. Um, and of course, then there's thousands of myths about immortal heroes. One in particular, though, caught my eye. Um, have you guys ever heard of the story about the Wandering Jew?
2: Um, no. I don't think so.
1: Alright, so this, uh, character originally appeared in Legends in around the 13th century, um, though many connections have put this figure across all sorts of literature from different cultures and different eras. Like there's always this, scene, this, pers- this character that's persistent through all these stories. Um, it's kind of like a Mad Max situation. And uh, there's just uncanny similarities between all these different stories from all over the place that seem to line up with them. The story is about a man who was made immortal in the time of Jesus and was cursed to wander the earth until the second coming. The reasons vary but many common themes is that he taunted jesus at the crucifixion so you know he was, he was cursed to live forever some origins of the legends are really uncertain some people think that it's something to do with cain or abel cain and abel for, for killing his brother cain is issued with a similar punishment to wander over the earth to scavenging and never reaping though it's not clearly stated that this would be for eternity there's nothing that implies for sure that it's he just lived forever it's just he had to suffer um and yeah so that's as you, the stories is just carried on forever, and as early as the sixth or seventh century, a monk claimed to have met a figure who, who struck Christ and is punished to wander the earth in eternal suffering and lament. As a quote from this guy, he says, "I saw an Ethiopian clad in rags who said to me, "You and I are condemned to the same punishment." And I said to him, "Who are you?" And the Ethiopian who had appeared, appeared to me replied, "I am he who struck on the cheek." the creator of the universe our lord jesus christ at the time of the passion that is why and i cannot stop weeping oh. some fucking guy came up to a monk and said this that would make
0: me question so many things mostly who the fuck are you but <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so throughout all the years like there's claim settings of this guy um throughout europe so tragic immortal hero Ooh. <laughs> Now that we're gone to this, then who the fuck was Keanu Reeves in the past? Well, the first, the earliest reincarnation that has been suggested is, well, Jesus. Mm -hmm. I present you with uh, Keanu Reeves in stained glass. (laughs) So this is a picture that has come up. Um. One thing you'll notice is that there's Jesus in the center, and then there's Mary and someone else on the other side. I don't know my religion well enough, but the face has been copied to the other two figures. I don't know if the face in the center of Jesus <laughs> is the actual one, because um, I've not been able to source where this this um, church is or any information about it. Like I don't know even where this picture originally came from.
2: Oh my god! This is amazing.
1: So that one could that one could be nothing, but you really can't deny this next one here. Uh, Keanu Reeves uh, talking to a fan and then there's a bottle of water in front of him and a glass of wine. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> and really that's all there is about the whole Jesus story. Like, I can't find any other <laughs> ties to Jesus other than that. So, our first real contender is uh, Charlemagne. Huh. Here is an illustration of Charlemagne versus Keanu Reeves. Real fucking similar.
0: You think so? I don't.
1: It, yeah. like, all we have is an illustration. Like, we don't have any sort right. of actual picture Can or mask or anything. Mean,
0: they didn't have photography back in maid's Day? Mind. In 700?
1: Yeah, no, they didn't. <laughs> Fuck.
0: I thought everyone had, like, an fucking iPhone.
1: Right. Well, so then let's, uh, let's talk about Chuck. <laughs> so... Born in 748, um, he's a pretty big deal. He's called the father of Europe. He had some very progressive ideas, which is really odd for someone of that era. So there's a ton of information about this guy because, like, he's considered like one of the best guys in history. And um, so you can find all sorts of stuff. But most of the stuff that I'm referencing comes from the writings of a guy named Einhard, who was a very loyal servant to him and a scholar whose greatest work was Chuck's biography. Like that was his thing his entire life but of course he lived with them. he was like his he was a secretary so he's someone who actually knew him fairly well so points towards this well no one knows where chuck was born not even einhard (laughs) that's mysterious right no one knows where he came from just the fucking guy who's gonna change the world just showed up out of nowhere he united most of western europe and for the first time since like a classical era of the roman empire and united parts of europe that had never been under frankish or roman rule like he even befriended like a bunch of the like the gauls and shit like he got everyone on board. The Pope, though, wasn't very crazy about him, but a woman had become Empress at the time, and that just couldn't do. So he basically invited Chuck to come hang out and surprise him with a coronation, saying that the spot of Emperor is vacant since the woman doesn't count. Einhard says that tr- Chuck really had no interest, and this was a complete surprise by the Pope. These fuckers showed up with a crown. <laughs> so suddenly he becomes the Holy Roman Emperor, which is like, well, fuck. But Chuck, Chuck thought education was a shit and was determined that all 18 of his children were educated, including his daughters. This included riding and weaponry for the boys and embroidery, spinning and weaving for the girls. So almost modern. <laughs> did she say 18 kids, 18 kids by uh, 10 Jesus concubines and three oh. wives or some shit. Oh, my. Yeah, <laughs> as was the time. <laughs> That's what they did at the time. Um, He kept his daughters at home, refusing to, to arrange any marriages for them. But he tolerated, tolerated their extramarital relationships, even rewarding their common-law husbands and treasuring his illegitimate grandchildren produced by them. He refused to believe any stories of their wild behavior. So, you know, it's like he let them, yeah, okay, yeah, you guys do whatever you want. Just don't fucking get married because it could be used against you. And use against me and people just want you for power. So just do what the fuck you want. You want to go fuck that guy. Go, go ahead and fuck that guy. You have children. I'll teach you my, like, I'll treat them like my grandchildren. And if anyone says shit, I'll just pretend it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, Chuck loved books like absolutely loved them. He would have them read to him during meals and his court played a key role in producing books that taught elementary Latin and different aspects of the church. So he founded a Royal library and a number of copies were book where uh, books were produced. Um, which chuck would distribute he was a fucking library book production took forever um and books were in high demand so chuck would lend out his books but only if the borrower could like leave something valuable for collateral so he made the first fucking library he had like (laughs) monks and priests all around making copies of books all the time just because he liked books so much which was just not a thing at the time like even many emperors of the era or kings of the era even though they promoted education never fucking bothered with any of it himself meanwhile chuck is like all about learning nonstop. like he he also hated drunkenness and any and anybody even more so than himself and in his household. So he didn't really drink much. Now this is something that can be said of Keanu. He doesn't drink much. He doesn't really he's not really into drugs or anything like that. Um, but and that's because his dad was an alcoholic and drug addict.
0: Oh. Mm-hmm.
1: Um. He very rarely. Chuck was very private. He very rarely hosted parties except on the great feast days when it was expected where he'd invite many people over, just kind of like bang out the couple social events of the year and just tell everyone to fuck off for the rest of the time which I'm totally behind. <laughs> Alright, so aside from his uh, striking resemblance the count of the death of Charlemagne rises some suspicions. Not befo- before, long, not long before he died, Chuck called his son who was a king at the time to court and said, hey dog, you're going to be my co-emperor emperor, and then sent him back home. And then, like, a couple months later, he got sick and dead. As he was dying in bed, he became depressed, thinking about all the things that he never got done. In, so, it was winter when he died. So, it was January 8-14. Uh, and the ground was frozen. And it's very common at this time, especially in this area, even today, when it's fucking winter, you don't bury people right away. You don't have to. There's no rush. And also, because like ground is frozen, like, just say, wait until it's easier. <laughs> but they buried him the same day that he died. Which is rather unusual. Things don't stop being weird at that point. So about 186 years later, so it's the year 1000, um, the German Emperor Otto III, um, who was, like, having a really shitty time, decided to open up the crypt and was hoping for some sort of inspiration when he looked upon Charles. Um, And as he opened it up, lit up the torches, he was, like, completely confounded. Charles Charles was sitting there on, a, on, a, on a throne, or upon a throne wearing a crown and holding a scepter and he looked what they said is almost entirely incorrupt like his body hadn't decayed at all and one of the quotes here says is, he had not lost any of his members to decay except only the tip of his nose which Emperor Otter replaced with gold <laughs> and he took a tooth from Charles' mouth walled the entrance up to the chamber and withdrew <laughs> So he placed his notes with gold, took a tooth, and then walled them back up. Oh, Okay. That's,
0: <clears throat> mm, that's a lot.
1: Yeah. Well, then, you know, another 160 years later, another emperor reopened the tomb. And um, they're like, this guy has done something better. And he gave, he reburied the guy in um, marble... This crazy marble sarcophagus, which was then buried in the, under the floor of the cathedral, which I'll show you a picture of, because it's kind of fucking neat.
2: Ooh, ooh! Oh, that's cool.
1: That is cool. right. Wow. That's pretty baller. And then in 1215, another emperor bug him, dug him up, and made him a new, a new sarcophagus. This one is made from gold and silver.
2: Holy shit, dude! <laughs> oh my god! Why? Fucking why. I mean, why not? But why?
1: It's fucking Charlemagne, man. Yes. In the
2: original is that like all of his horses and all of his like five million children on the side of his sarcophagus his <laughs> first sarcophagus, like
1: or all his lives? Oh. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so
2: in
1: 1349 some of his bones were removed and kept as relics by the Holy Ro- Roman emperor of Charles the and after five undisturbed centuries, the founder of the Holy Roman Empire was exhumed again in 1861 for research purposes. And at this point, this, all his bones and stuff still exist in this uh, church in Germany. With an x-ray and a CT scan that was performed in 2010, it was determined that his height was 1.84 meters, or 6 foot 0 inches. This is, puts him in the 99th percentile of height for this period, giving that the average male at this time was about 5 foot 7 inches. So 6 feet. Um, the width of the bone suggests that he was was gray style in his body build, so he was kind of like lean-looking. Um, so yeah, he, he was eight one point eight four meters. Keanu's one point eight six. Uh, right. This is uh what they look like. <laughs> They've been like bound to this um I don't know velvet Whoa. board. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So you can That's go good. and see um Charles's grave now in this in this church. Um, the silver and gold sarcophagus is like in a glass. Uh case, since you can go check it out. It's pretty cool. One of the things that is that is also there is his throne. oh
2: hmm. interesting. Can you sit in it
1: no it's it's welled off, but um yeah, he made it um after he was made emperor, and it was a pretty big deal after that huh. Wow, but basically um while he was't crowned in it for so per se thirty one German kid kings were crowned in it after him. So, his legacy, when Chuck died, um, his estate was handled as such, most of the wealth went to the church to be used for, chari- for charity. His son would be the last of the Charlemagne's empire, and as it would be divided among his sons after Louis's death and laid the foundation for the creation of Germany and France. Charlemagne had 18 children and five grandchildren. Among his descendants are several royal dynasties, including Hadsburg, Capetian, and the, the Plantagenet Planta, dynasties, and by consequence, most if not all established European noble families ever, ever since can genealogically retrace some of their heritage back to Charlemagne. He fucking birthed everyone, basically. He's a king that made kings. Yeah. And so yeah, that was that was Charlemagne. So what did Keanu do after that? Well, he became a painter in fifteen oh three. So this guy um is a different name, but it goes by Parmigianino. Parmigianino, which is almost like Parmiano. (laughs) So I just call him Parm, because otherwise I just think of cheese. (laughs) Um, So yeah, he was born in 153, eighth child in an Italian family. His father died of the plague when he was about two years old. And him and his siblings were raised by his mother and and his, his two uncles. So he was a brilliant artist. He was hired by churches and the wealthy all over. He was just in high demand. So he traveled and he painted. And for the most part... There isn't really a ton of craziness, but there is this one from this time in Rome. Um, In 1527, Rome was sacked. The soldiers raiding raiding houses, murdering and raping as they do, all to claim the city for the holy Roman emperor. Parham was just chilling out, completely transfixed. Latest painting of Madonna and the Child with Baptiste Saint Jerome. He was just completely clueless of what was going around him. I'm going to show you this picture of the painting he's working on. It's pretty fucking cool. Like, he was a good artist. Jeez. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah, so this is, this is what he's working on as the middle of Rome being sacked and he has no idea. <laughs> so the <sighs> troops storm into the residence. They find him sitting there at work and the story goes that they froze, stunned by the angelic beauty of the young painter's face, the innocent intensity of his concentration and the supernatural light of the painting itself. They could not bring themselves to harm either the artist or his work and instead kept him in their employ for some months, producing pictures and portraits. Eventually he escaped with the help of his uncle. <laughs> <laughs> basically he was so beautiful his work was so beautiful we're not going to kill you or rape you we're going to keep you to make us art for us so he got out eventually um in 1530 he was living in bologna and was present for the banquet for the freshly crowned holy roman emperor charles v who luck would have it would be the last holy roman emperor of the holy roman dynasty established by our good friend chuck oh and he was the last to be crowned on chuck's throne coincidence i think not The last years of his life, he became obsessed with alchemy, devoting all of his time, resources into his research, and even at the expense of his health. Some believe that this was due to his fascination with magic, while others believe he was trying to develop a new medium for his art. But during this time, while he still worked on personal projects, he neglected all of the contracts, including repeatedly missing deadlines to paint murals for the church. He was was even jailed for this, but got out on bail, promising to do the work, and then he just fucked off to another city. (laughs) In August 1540, he took ill when he was 37 and died of a fever. He is buried naked with a cross made of cypress on his chest in the Church of the Servites. So here's some paintings of Buddy. So this is uh, one of his most famous um, self-portraits from early in his life. Oh, that boyish charm. Right? (laughs) (laughs) And this is one of his later paintings of himself.
0: The dude on the left looks like Vincent Van Gogh. (laughs) Yeah.
1: There is one more painting. Now, this painting is um, called The Portrait of a Man. It's not titled as a self-portrait, but the notes and stuff that were found in regards to it and the sketches found in regards to it, pretty much all artly scholars believe that it was a (laughs) self-portrait. There are some similarities there.
0: Yeah, okay. All right.
2: (laughs) Not not nearly as close as as Shakespeare and Anne Hathaway, but (laughs) getting there.
1: (laughs) All right, so our Alaska tender in the previous lives of Mr. Reeves is a man known as Paul Monette. Born in 1947, he began his career studying medicine to become a doctor and then decided to become an actor following his older brother's steps. As a stage actor, he performed many plays in France, including Shakespeare, but he's probably most well-known for his role in the 1909 film Macbeth, where he played the title character. Now, Macbeth is a really important play to can. Canada loves Shakespeare. He loves the theater and he has done stage performance. So this is a big one for him. It's just kind of a weird association. Um, in 1922, when I died of heart failure, the a Immortal website uh, claims that his body was just never found. But I've not found a single reference to this. Though I haven't been able to find anything about where he was buried. So it's just kind of weird. Um, yeah, I don't think there's really any mystery to it. Because, yeah, I can't find anything about it other than what is on the is Immortal website. Huh. So during his time, um, when I seem to have survived the flu, the influenza at a very old age, which is odd since it killed ninety-five percent of the people in his community, with the survivors all being recorded in their late twenties, um, and like he lived until he was seventy-five, which the life expectancy at the time was forty. So just kind of strange, but yeah, instead the records show that he died of heart disease, which is a very uncommon way to die during this period. Only about point zero one percent of the population is recorded as desi- dying from heart disease. So, some pictures, of course. Um, So, once uh, Keanu was on Jimmy Kimmel, and (laughs) Jimmy Kimmel confronted him about this whole situation, about the immortal thing. He's like, oh yeah, I heard something about it. And So, Jimmy started showing him pictures of this. And he showed him pictures of Monet, and he said, I can see see we have a likeness in the eyes, and the nose, and the mustache, and the beard, and the cheekbones, and the forehead. (laughs) One of the ways that... uh, Keanu kind of circumvented Jimmy Fallon's like questioning and stuff was uh, he told him a story about how when he was uh, just starting acting his like, agent had told him that he needed to pick a different name because Keanu Reeves was not a great actor's name so he came up with the name Chuck Spadina <laughs> and um, just imagine <laughs> The Matrix <laughs> starring Chuck Spadina. Oh my god. <laughs> and this is of course cited because Chuck is the shorthand for Charles which is the shorthand for Charlemagne. So. Um, a lot of our theories that people have is like, oh, he's been sneaking his autobiography into the films that he he makes. Um, you know, like, you know, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. He was traveling with his friend in a phone booth to historical figures. And then he did The Matrix, where he discovers his, like, a man discovers his existence is totally made up. Or, you know, The, the uh, Lake House, where he it was a time travel movie with Sandra Bullock. Um, and then, yeah, so... And Other than that, like you know, he's super wise, super nice, all that sort of stuff. I also did a handwriting comparison, which is just interesting.
2: Okay, but we also have to think about the fact that he's going to be in that he's in cyberpunk, and is <laughs> oh he yeah, that's that is another thing yeah, yeah. the future. That's I mean, true. yeah,
1: <laughs> we know that he's going to live until twenty seventy seven,
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, so what I just sent you there was, uh, a bunch of different, um, hand-writing samples, um, just cause I found this letter that Parm had written and I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to compare them and see what's going on. Obviously we don't have a writing sample for Charming <laughs> cause he couldn't write. Um, but yeah, we got Parm, we have Monet, and then we have Keanu on the right, which there's not a ton of similarity there, but I just thought it was interesting.
0: That is cool though. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I don't see any similarities at all.
1: No, no. <laughs> so, is Keanu Reeves immortal? Highly unlikely, but uh, he does appear to be a good person. This has had some hard times in his life. I've seen a fair amount of death and tragedy, but this seems to make him appreciate the world more and more. He doesn't act for money. He's For him, it's art. Like, each role for him is an opportunity to keep acting, which is what he loves to do. When he's not working, he's wandering the world without security or entourages. He just explores living one of his favorite pastimes is riding one of his motorbikes. I quote: "I also like riding at night. You shut off your lights and go. It's quiet, and you're guided by the moonlight. You're getting away from it all. It's about getting out and feeling the wind in your hair. Just having two wheels to ride. You have to be in the present, here and now. There's nothing like it. You take a turn and you go." Someone once asked him what he would what he wouldn't like about being dead, and he said, "You couldn't get stoned anymore." <laughs> <laughs> but in a more serious note when Stephen colbert asked him what happens after death he said i know that the ones who love us miss us oh it really puts everything in perspective when you lose someone that you really loved you realize that life is precious and short and that you shouldn't waste a single moment of it if i could go back in time and tell 20 me 20 year old me anything it would be don't waste any time wondering if they feel the same way about you just tell them how you feel. be honest with them. You owe it to yourself and you owe it to them. Who knows? Maybe they feel the same way. Life is too short and you got to cherish it. Death is starting to become a thing that he's thinking about now as he's getting older because he's almost 60 at this point. Jeez, yeah. Oh, shit. So I know f- closing note um, and Jimmy Fallon when during this interview when he was asking about the whole immortal thing, he said, um, if you found the elixir to immortality in which the actor replied, We're all Stardust, baby.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Carl Sagan!
1: Uh There you have it, that's Keanu
0: Reeves. (laughs) (laughs) That really bothers me that he's like one year younger than my mom. (laughs) 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 That kind of like fucks around in my headspace a little bit, or I'm just like, the fuck, seriously?
2: (laughs) Yeah, look at this guy and I like think about like mid 40s at the late yeah age? yeah
1: when you look at some of the older pictures like more recent pictures from most recent like john wick and stuff like you can see that there's there are his age spots starting to come on him you can see that his hairline is starting to recede and like oh god canna is starting to look mm. old this can't happen
0: he's aging oh god
2: well he looked he looks pretty he looks pretty old in the newest um bill and ted movie
1: yeah yeah so absolutely no evidence but it was a fun ride <laughs> <laughs>
0: I love it. Oh, my gosh. That's
1: all right. Funny. Who's up next?
0: They got me. Mm-hmm. Speaking yeah. of, of things that age or don't age or mummified, I don't know. Um, we're going to go with mummified. The uh, I thought it would be fun, since we are all cat owners, to talk about what is a common quote-unquote fact, which is that cats were worshipped in ancient Egypt. And why in the world was that? So I, I feel like a lot of people know like a little, you know, piece of that. Like, oh, yeah, they worship cats. They thought them holy. They thought them connected to the gods, yada, yada, yada. And that's both true and false, which I found interesting. Um. So, yeah, I, I was like, oh, I learned something today. Look at me. Uh, so I went back and did the uh, did kind of the tracing of uh, feline domestication. So there's DNA evidence to suggest that wild cats first self domesticated, and this would have been in and around like Near East, uh, Africa, and Europe, roughly about 10,000 years ago. And we first adopted. Well, it's just like cat owners now. We think we're adopting them where they're like, nah, we own you. <laughs> mm-hmm. True to this day and true 10,000 years ago. Um, so it's kind of similar to how we, we say we domesticated wolves. They started hanging around and getting scraps, but the cats would stick around for food. They would keep rodents at bay. They would keep rodents out of grain, uh, grain storage. And then they slowly started to bond with humans. And there are actually five subspecies of the wild cat that can be traced to the domestic cats, the modern domestic cats, closest relative and closest bloodlines. Which I thought was really cool um, because it actually has been proven that DNA analysis has shown that the earliest domestic cats were all spotted. Mm. Um, They were not striped. Striped cats didn't start showing up according to record until the Middle Ages. And when you look at ancient Egyptian murals, we see only spotted cats. And that is why, because that was the dominant pattern in um, wildcat bloodlines at the time. Hmm. I know. I was
1: like, that's really cool.
0: That's Uh, really neat. I didn't know that. Um, So there's been actually a lot of work looking at just it's like we were talking about earlier today. It's like yes, they just dug up another sarcophagus. It's 2,500 years old. We're gonna go back 10,000 years with cats, way before <laughs> even this <laughs> poor guy they pulled out of the ground and then opened his sarcophagus. You know the mummy style. And don't you motherfuckers watch movies like seriously? It's <laughs>
1: don't don't. In 2020, thing. of all times. Yes.
0: Of all years, please don't open the cursed mummy tomb. Just don't. <laughs> do it. Uh, so uh, there was a there's a university in Belgium that actually started the work on sampling the DNA and analyzing it, and they took remains from 200 excavated cats from archaeological sites in Near East Africa and Europe to try to figure out where the bloodlines started changing, where the DNA started changing. And the cat remains were anywhere between 100 and 9,000 to 10,000 years old. And um, they were able to prove that domestic cats descended from the African wildcat, which is a subspecies native to Europe. And then farmers in this area would have, you know, welcomed them, probably because they weren't huge. So they weren't a massive threat, but they would have helped keep the grain free of rodents. And then our relationship with these wildcats sufficiently altered its genome enough that we start seeing these subspecies show up in these wildcats. So they started evolution, baby. They started splitting off (laughs) into different veins and different subspecies. We started bringing cats aboard trading ships to hunt vermin. And then because of their presence on the ships, the domestic cat then spread across Europe via the trade routes. And researchers have even found evidence of Egyptian cats at Viking sites near the Baltic Sea. I was like, okay then.
1: (laughs) Nice. Hmm. I wonder what that adoption process was like.
0: (laughs) Right, right. Here's a trade ship from... Northern Africa. Oh my God! What is that? Yeah, this thing. Like, jumps off. <laughs> I'll take
1: five. <laughs>
0: yeah, this is great. There's no more black plague. Oh wait, hold on. Um, <laughs> but what is unique and and again, like what most people commonly refer to as Egyptian worship of cats. Um, there's an Egyptologist. Her name's Melinda Hartwig, and she's the curator of the ancient Egyptian, Nubian, and Near Eastern art um kind of uh what's the word i want here i just lost my word like exhibit museum exhibit you <laughs> hey there we go it's at emory university's michael c carlos museum in atlanta so it's this so she's been quoted as saying that the egyptians looked at the cat the same way they looked at everything else which was a way to explain and personify the universe Um, But she has made one thing very clear through her research, which is that Egyptians didn't worship cats, but they did believe that cats held a little bit of divine energy within their mortal bodies. Um, And largely that the widespread belief was that the domestic cat carried the divine essence of Bastet, or Bast, as we'll call her. Um, She's the cat-headed goddess that represented fertility, domesticity, music, dance, and pleasure. And she's been formed, shown in different forms. Yes, what was that? I ship it? You ship it. <laughs> <Yep>. Okay, <laughs> it makes sense. There, it's just like with so many of the other pieces that we've dug up of ancient civilizations, their gods change shape as the stories change, as the beliefs change, as the rulers change. Um, these gods all start to serve different purposes, um, but they usually all eventually go back to one or two. Um, like core beliefs. So with Bast, it had a lot to do with like being goddess of the home and domesticity. You see a lot of that show up in research. Uh, there was a pretty common belief later on that she protected the home from evil spirits and disease, especially diseases associated with women and children. So again, back to the home and domesticity. Um, and as with many of the deities in Egyptian religion, she also played a role in the afterlife. She was seen as a guide and a helper to the dead, but this wasn't one of her primary duties. It's like, yeah, yeah, I got my full-time job over here with the hearth and the home and the whole like childbearing thing. But also I'm gonna get you to where you need to go across. the river. If you city.
1: get lost, I'll help you. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you can come find me. Don't trust some of those others if you get lost, but I'm not, don't come to me first type of thing. (laughs) She was the daughter of the sun god Ra, and so she's been associated with the concept of the eye of Ra, or what we would now refer to as the all-seeing eye. Um, And then her name went through a bunch of different changes. I'm going to... Like butcher this pronunciation, but her name was originally spelled B apostrophe S S T, which then became <laughs> Ubaste, then Bast, then Bastet, and Egypt uh, Egyptian scholars still can't agree universally on the original meaning of the name. Um, she didn't actually become extremely popular in Egypt until the Second Dynasty. Which was uh twenty-eight ninety to twenty-six seventy BCE. And she even had her own cult. I still get to talk about cults. Oh my yeah. god. <laughs> a cat god cult, I'm a in. A cat god cult, That's I amazing. know, right? Led by a woman. <laughs> yes. She was the original cat lady. Oh, oh yeah. my <laughs> god. <laughs> 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 I didn't even think of that until right now. I feel so smart. <laughs> <laughs> so
2: uh, one of
0: us, one of us. <laughs> one of, yeah, all, everybody who's like, you're just, a, you're gonna be an old cat later. It's like, yes, I am descended from bass. <laughs> Bow before me and worship, motherfucker. <laughs> That's <laughs> how that works. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so happy now. Um, I'm so stupid. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe it just dawned on me. (laughs) All right. So her cult was in the city of Bubastis, and it lasted for several centuries. There she was represented at first as a woman with the head of a lioness and she was closely associated with the goddess Sekhmet. Um, But that deity's iconography depicted her as... Uh, more and more aggressive. And so in contrast, Bastet's images started to soften and to kind of present her as like a daily companion and a helper where her earlier forms, when she would stand beside Sekhmet, she was uh, pictured as this like savage avenger warrior. Um, She was also equally feared because she had two pretty um, interesting titles She was called both the Lady of Dread and the Lady of Slaughter. (laughs) Love it. Yes. (laughs) With the lion head and the whole thing. Um, Yeah, it was like, holy moly, okay. Um, She's also been associated with both Mao, the divine cat, who's an aspect of Ra, and Maftet, the goddess of justice, and who was the first official feline deity in Egyptian history. This lady was kind of like born out of already this really aggressive protector and avenger. And then she slowly transformed into kind of a a more domestic deity as the centuries went on.
1: I wonder if that's related to our domestic, our quote, domestication of the cats. Because originally wild cats would have been fucking you up all the time. Right. But then mm-hmm. cats come into the home.
0: I wondered about that. There's, there was nothing that I found in my research to show a direct link, but it makes sense. Cool. Yeah. I thought it was pretty cool. I was like, okay.
1: Now, um, was it just called a cult because it was worshipping a female god, or was it actually a cult? <laughs>
0: no, it was, uh, so her cult center was in the city, Bubastis. It was in Lower Egypt. It was also, um, the city also became one of the richest and most luxurious cities in Egypt because people traveled from all over the country to pay respects to Bastet and have the bodies of their dead cats interned in the city. Baller. Yeah. So she was seen as a, as a divine protector. And like, if you were in the cult, you were in the cult, like you were in all the way, you bought all the books, you did all the things. I'm being facetious, but you know what I mean. (laughs) Um, So her iconography also started to change as the years and the centuries went on. Um, She slowly started to lose the kind of the more lioness deity appearance. And she became milder. um, But she was still considered to be dangerous to those who broke the law or abused others. So that's where you go back to that protector, that avenger. Um, unfortunately, the primary source for a lot of this information was Herodotus, and I don't go into a lot of detail on the particulars, which I would have loved to have known. Like, yes, how exactly do you worship Bastet, (laughs) other than entering your dead cats? And, like, (laughs) not pissing her off like what what i need some beats man
1: <laughs> you
2: need to foster you know, all the straight cats in the city four times
0: it, it, exactly.
2: her face off.
0: yeah it, yeah it was like what do you uh, no but her her temple her cult center as we'll say was actually the focal point of the city so everybody fucking wild. Was. yeah everybody went there And uh, clerics of the temple also provided services ranging from medical attention to counseling to food distribution.
1: So this is like a community center, not a cult.
2: (laughs) Well, okay. so like back in, I guess it depends on like the definition that we're that that we're using of cult. I guess because yeah, that's not the, the modern I, definition. Yeah. Our, okay.
1: Cause I'm, I'm like, yeah. this is not like Scientology.
2: <laughs> so it would be like a sect of a religion, like a, sure. almost like an offshoot of whatever. Okay. Yeah. Yep.
1: That
0: makes yeah. sense. So I, uh, I found what Herodotus wrote about. It's just a little description of the temple. And I thought this was really cool. So I'm quoting here. Save for the entrance. It stands on an Island. Two separate channels approach it from the Nile, and after coming up to the entry of the temple, they run round on it on opposite sides, each of them 100 feet wide and overshadowed by trees. The temple is in the midst of the city, the whole circuit of which commands a view down onto it, for the city's level has been raised, but that of the temple has been left as it was from the first, so that it can be seen into from without." A stone wall, carven with figures, runs around it. Within is a grove of very tall trees, growing round a great shrine, wherein is an image of the goddess. The temple is a square, each side measuring a furlong. I have no idea what that means. A road paved with stone of about three furlongs length leads to the entrance, running eastward through the marketplace, towards the temple of Hermes. This road is about 400 feet wide and bordered by trees reaching to heaven. I love it. I know, right? Do you know like... what kind of trees they were? No, that did not say. And I couldn't so, find much.
1: Cypress. <laughs> um, I wondered. <laughs> the, the Greeks um, and the Romans very commonly had cypress trees, especially around cemeteries and in their areas. And they're considered... Um, Related to femininity, and that they reach up to heaven to deliver souls. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know. It might be related. It,
0: it could be. It could be. Yeah. Uh, he uh, Herodotus was not uh, super detailed. Uh, it was like, oh yeah, it's like 400 feet long. It's like this, this, but these trees. Man, I don't know. <laughs> what era? Uh, so, do you know what era this was? Oh, like what year? Gosh. So Herodotus. Do, 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 do. I bet we can find out. See, I'm not as detailed. I find stuff. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds good. Um, <laughs> is he I'm just neurotic, so <laughs> no, 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 you're 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 good. I'm just not so ancient Greek historian. I know, so he lived from 484 to 425 or 413 BCE.
1: Okay. So yeah, around that era, Cyprus would have been very common in northern northern yeah. Africa. Hmm.
0: That makes sense. That makes sense. Ta-da! <laughs> Da, 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 da.
1: I am going to fucking do a whole episode on Cyber Street as you wait.
0: <laughs> it's so interesting, though. It's like so freaking interesting. Um, um, so a
2: furlong uh, is a, is 201 meters, a little over 201 meters, or 660 Americas. Feet. I was going to say you're going to have 660 Americas.
0: Yeah, you're going to have to uh, uh, convert that for the those of us who don't use the metric system. Um, <laughs> No, that's, that's long. Holy crap.
1: That's huge.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the city looked down on it, which is like a dope ass move. Cause the temple's like, now we're yeah. here first. <laughs> that's great. Good try though. Um, so her popularity started to really grow out of this role as, for, as the protector of women and of the household. She, but she was as popular among men as women in that every man has a mother sister girlfriend wife or daughter who benefited from the care that Bastet provided them that's so cool i know right i like highlighted it and bolded that line it's like holy shit what that's awesome <laughs>
1: um egypt. but you know women yeah e- women in egypt had a lot more power than a lot yes. of cultures They could own
0: land, they were held in high regard, they often served in the temples, and they had almost equal rights, um, which were guaranteed through the fact that there were goddesses protecting them, and so it was just kind of built into their society.
1: That's awesome.
0: Yeah. Um, A couple of the details that I found out about this big festival they had every year at Bastet's center, her temple was that one of the big parades that happened uh, focused on the delivery of mummified cats to her temple. Okay. Are you you ready for (laughs) this? Because holy shit. When the temple was excavated in 1887 and 1889, there were over 300,000 mummified cats.
1: Damn. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Do we know how many years over that was? Like, was that like... From that like a couple centuries. thousand years, centuries. That, okay. Yep. Yep. There'd but be still. so much reference material for studying cats,
0: <laughs> and that's where they started. You know, after the technology was available, they started doing DNA
1: analysis. And then, no when we thought they fucking researched cats, dude? There was right. three hundred thousand of them.
0: Here. Right. That totally. It totally makes sense that that's that common kind of like is and isn't a misconception. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> Yeah, there there were also um, they have found amulets of cats and amulets of like litters of kittens. They were considered popular New Year gifts.
2: Oh, I know. I was like, that tradition back.
0: I know. I like that a (laughs) lot. And the name of Bastet was often inscribed on little ceremonial New Year flasks, uh, kind of meant to (laughs) evoke the goddess as a bestower of fertility. And because Bastet, like a lot of the other lioness goddesses, was viewed as a protective deity, able to counter the dark forces associated with the demon days at the end of the
2: Egyptian year.
0: So get drunk, have sex, have babies, protect yourself from the demon days. Yes. (laughs)
2: Have a a, a litter. (laughs) Protect yourself from the demons.
0: Oh my gosh. So when um, Bastet's popularity got to the point that uh, it was even used against the Egyptians. So in 525 BCE, when Cambyses II of Persia invaded Egypt, he made use of her to force the Egyptians to surrender. So he knew of their great love for animals and particularly cats. Kind of hard to miss the 300,000 fucking mummified cats. <laughs> um, <laughs> So he had his soldiers paint the image of Bastet on their shields and then arranged all of the animals that could be found and drove them before the army toward the pivotal city of Pelusium. The Egyptians refused to fight for fear of harming the animals and offending Bastet, and so they surrendered.
1: Shitty guys, Jesus. Yeah, it was really
0: shitty, but it was also really fucking smart. Yeah. Yeah, but it was shitty. Dicks. Dicks. (laughs) Oh, do that, Um, but I couldn't find anything that like, you know, they that the Egyptians waded into the slaughter and then were like, no, we don't want to do. They just stopped. They didn't even try.
1: Like, yeah, we're good. We're good. Yeah, you can't. (laughs) What do you want?
0: (laughs) Can't do this Um, because and probably a lot of that was because that the penalty for killing a cat, even by accident, was death.
1: Damn. I would
0: rather surrender than offend the goddess and uh, force them and basically be put to
1: the sword. Was yeah, was there a special right for killing them that way? Or is it just like just you're gonna die?
0: It was basically you're gonna die. Cool. I'm sure it was something brutal and awful <laughs> given the time. E- eaten, <laughs> alive by cats? Eaten, it, eaten alive by cats? Eaten eaten alive by cats.
1: That's probably just cruel cats, though. That That's night. where
0: Charlemagne's nose went. Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the cat that was in with
0: <laughs> So, yeah, at this point, the numbers of mummified cats that archaeologists have found have been way past 300,000. That was just in one temple. They've found Damn. thousands upon thousands at this point. Um uh Hartwig even says that so many cat mummies have survived the centuries because destroying them would have been prohibited in ancient Europe because they carried the essence of the goddess. Uh so they wound up being stashed away in pre-existing burial chambers and secondary catacombs. And there was even a more recent excavation at a pyramid complex that unearthed another couple dozen of cat mummies, and some of them were buried in their own limestone coffins.
1: Oh my god. I just like how like Europeans are like, fuck mummies, let's eat them and turn them into paint, but we'll leave the cats alone. (laughs) Yep. Yep.
0: Or maybe just freaked them out. I don't know. (laughs) Why do they worship these things? They're rat killers. I don't understand. This
2: is a pet cemetery. We've all seen that movie. (laughs) Um, You mean the play? (laughs) There is only one mummy movie and (laughs) <laughs> I think we can do this. Uh,
0: there has, there have been other uh, icons of uh, Bastet in her motherhood goddess form. She's part cat, part mother, uh, almost like a fertility statue kind of look to her. And she can also be found on columns uh, that have been found in different pyramids and catacombs. And then you usually almost always see these figures of her uh, surrounded by cats or kittens at her feet. No, Yeah. So I have a few other interesting facts for you about this that I dug up. Um, it has been theorized, probably pretty, I think, accurately, that cat fondness for napping in the sun led to early associations between the cat and the sun god Ra. Checks out. Yep. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, there's abundant archeological evidence of cats serving multiple roles. Cats were depicted protecting households against rodents and snakes, but also as helpers for bird hunters
1: and as pampered pets. Oh my God. Could you imagine taking a cat hunting birds? <laughs> <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> How that like,
0: right now. Yeah. <laughs> Considering they were the size of a small wild cat. Probably I'm just trying to, like,
1: well. cats don't give a shit about what you want. Like
0: <laughs> These cats don't give a shit. Those cats, maybe. Aww.
1: Maybe, I don't know. Or maybe we just, like, the Egyptians just took their herd of cats out and they just, like, had a picnic and wait for the cats <laughs> to kill the birds. <laughs> Hunting.
0: <laughs> yep. Um, cats have been found buried in human graves, although that relationship exactly isn't always made clear. Um, some of the cats were buried with offerings, which indicated that someone was planning for the animals afterlives and, um, starting around thousand BCE, there were gigantic cemeteries full of tens of thousands of cats that became fairly widespread and popular. The cats were elaborately wrapped and decorated. Um, they were, uh, attended by temple attendants And Roman travelers to Egypt described how regular Egyptians revered cats, sometimes traveling long distances to bury a deceased cat in a cemetery. And Mm. then I know. And then my last one is that ancient Egyptians, uh, according to scholar uh, Alan Diesel, ancient Egyptians probably began attributing divine characteristics to cats gradually. They have an almost supernatural grace and ability for stealth They have night vision, which was highly admired and might have helped them morph into truly sacred animals in the eyes of ancient Egyptians. And then the whole napping in the sun and then you just ball that (laughs) all together and they get rolled into this admiration and like having this divine essence that gets linked to Bastet or to Bast.
1: So you think about it, like, you bring a cat to your home, they're killing the rodents, and you don't necessarily associate rodents with disease, but your family's healthier. (laughs) It's like...
0: And now the rodents start eating your grain.
1: Yeah.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: It makes sense. Totally. Yep. So there are some really interesting... um, I unfortunately wasn't able to save, but I'll link some of these articles to you. There's some really cool cat statues that I wish I had saved not on my ipad but on my actual computer because good job me um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but i'll give you all this link because i do i some of the statues are really friggin' cool and they don't look like they don't look any different than our modern domestic cats
1: i look forward to it
0: it's buck wild yeah so yeah, that's cats in ancient Egypt, not necessarily worshiped, but highly valued and prized and um, seen as a little having a tiny little essence of the divine. Oh yeah, here we here we go. I'm gonna give you this link. This one, had, this cat, right at the beginning, he's got earrings on, man.
2: What?
1: I wonder if they actually did that.
0: Pierced him? I don't know. But you don't. I mean, you don't waste precious metals on something that you didn't highly value.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But
0: if you go through that uh, Smithsonian article, some of these are like friggin' cool looking. Oh, they're so cute. Yeah, there's cats on spoons. There's. Yeah, it's really, really cool. This
1: is awesome. I'm into it. I know.
0: All of it. I was so excited just to read through this stuff. I was like, oh, I love it. And that I've learned something that's been kind of like. Is always pushed on us as, as fact, but it's it's something just a little bit different. Yeah, Um, that's great. Yeah, I had no idea about most of that.